0: Welcome to the Future Charlotte Podcast. I'm your host, Eli Portillo. I've spent more than a decade studying Charlotte, first as a journalist and now as assistant director of the UNC Charlotte Urban Institute. 20 years ago, this city looked radically different. No light rail, a smaller skyline, and breweries, what breweries? What will we look like in the next 20 years? That's what we're exploring on this show. Our guests today are Ricky Hall and Zach Wyatt, who are both doing some really interesting things in Charlotte around the area of food, food systems, and food security. I wanted to talk to both of them because they are approaching similar problems from slightly different angles, and they have some really interesting experiences that I think will be illuminating to talk about in the broader context. So thank you both for taking the time to join us.
1: Yeah, thanks, Eli. My pleasure being here.
0: So, let's start with a brief intro. Who are you? What are you doing? And are both of you from Charlotte? Ricky, let's start with you.
1: I'm Ricky Hall, and I'm board chair of the West Boulevard Neighborhood Coalition, and a board member of our Three Sisters Market effort. And I am a native Charlottean, born and reared.
0: And how about you, Zach?
2: Uh, well, my my name is Zach Wyatt, and I'm the founder and president and CEO of Carolina Farm Trust. Uh, I grew up in Northern Virginia, so uh, I am one of the many that can't say that I was born and raised in Charlotte, but I've been here pretty much since 2003, you know, and, and uh, proud to call Charlotte my family's home.
0: Great. Well, I'm from the D.C. area as well, uh, Maryland suburbs of D.C., so fellow transplant here. So, I wanted to talk for a minute about the food system and just kind of lay the the groundwork for what both of you are doing because i think for a lot of our listeners food is probably just what you get at harris teeter drive to the grocery store don't think about it but that system we have doesn't work for everyone and even for the people it does work for i think is is less than optimal in a lot of ways starting with you zach why don't you just tell me um, a little bit about what your organization does and uh, your new farm project and kind of why it matters.
2: Well, uh, Carolina Farm Trust turned six uh, in you know in June uh, you know so we're still very young as an organization uh, and you know one thing you know over the last you know even early on was we have a system problem and we need a system solution and you know I think a lot of people will hear people say well the system is broken, the system is broken. Uh, it's not really broken by the by the people that who designed it. it it's actually working very well, uh, quite well for the people that designed it. So what we've been really working on, uh, you know, over the last six years, is trying to figure out and build the infrastructural system of what a regional food system looks like from production to consumption. So it is working with small farmers and figuring out what they need to be successful. It is trying to figure out a distribution channel that pays enough margin for the farmers to actually exist and be profitable, and at the same time, work with the overall community so they can actually participate in the local food economy, which is extremely challenging, uh, really no matter where you fall on the socioeconomic ladder. So it is really about this full system that we're trying to build here. Uh, And I think most people you know, don't understand what a food system looks like. We we live in this industrial food complex. You know, with very few companies pretty much owning the entire supply chain. And it's really important, you know, to me, our organization, to Ricky, when you really peel back the layers of really understanding that the true issues of upward mobility, health and nutrition, climate change, and really the racial injustices and in, inequities that continue to happen are very, very rooted in our food system, you know, and I think that gets lost uh, on a lot of people uh, and we need to really focus on this system and get this infrastructure built so then we can really move forward to really have the impact I think we really want to have, you know, in all these major uh, social capital areas.
0: And Ricky, tell me a little bit about the food market that you're involved in kind of shepherding and, and the gardening in West Charlotte. I think a lot of listeners to this show probably haven't had the experience of food insecurity or living in a place where there is not abundant food retail. Tell me a little bit about why it's important uh, in your community and what that experience is like of living somewhere that's not that's not served by the Harris Teeters, the Publixes, the Whole Foods of the world in the same way.
1: Let me just kind of paint a picture of, of where we are. Uh, of course, uh, we're in the West Boulevard Carter and the West Boulevard uh, Carter is to our east. You have South End, uh, which is on the same uh, corridor as East and West Boulevard. or the same arterial, but much different outcomes in terms of food access. Uh, we're right at at the at the uh, fringe of the Central Business District, of Charlotte Uptown area, very vibrant area. Um, we're nestled between uh, the airport to the west and Of course, at some point in the very near future, we will be right in close proximity of the Silver Line. And um, if you look at on the easternmost edge, South Boulevard has a host of grocery stores to service the grocery needs of residents. Um, There's only one grocery store in close proximity to the West Boulevard corridor, but of course within that cone that qualifies the corridor as a a, uh, food uh, desert, and that's on Wilkerson Boulevard. Um, and so there is no access, and there hasn't been access for decades. And I'm saying multiple decades of, of access. And there have been several efforts to address this this uh, deficiency through trying to go through traditional means of working with grocers to locate in the corridor to meet that and fulfill that need. But it hadn't happened and so in 2016 the organization decided that a food co-op would be the best route to ensure that residents have access to fruit vegetables and grocery amenities in a full service um, market and at the same time while we were working on that development we have an urban farm where we are growing fresh healthy food to, um, to um, provide some means of fresh access to our resident base uh, here in 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 the Carter, and Zach is right in the sense that you know all of us live off of food, but access is is um, certainly deficient in this particular Carter. And the grocery stores that are bustling all around us have those necessary supply chains and all of those necessary linkages to meet their market demand. It's certainly within this particular card and no uh, means of access to to market demand other than uh, the dollar stores and the convenience stores that when you look at it on a longitudinal basis, certainly add up to mounting negative social determinants of health and maladies that reach you know, our elderly population, our young children from a school perspective and quality of life in the community. That's the real reality.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's something that, you know, if you live in a part of town where there are a Publix and a Harris Teeter opening across the street from each other and a mile down the streets, you know, a Whole Foods and a mile past that's Food Lion, um, it can be hard to kind of conceptualize that reality one reason that i wanted to to talk to both of you is you're both growing food you know not just trying to change the system in some abstract ways but really you know literally getting your hands dirty tell me a little bit about and this might seem like a a kind of reductionist question but why does it matter that we grow food locally why does it why should we care that there is food being grown locally you know for me as a consumer does it make a difference where my cucumbers are grown or whatever produce it might be? And, uh, and why is that something that we need?
1: I think it makes a difference from a quality control perspective and from a market supply uh, perspective. When you're growing and buying and servicing needs from a local regional perspective, you don't have to wonder where it comes from, how long it's been in transit what is the means and necessary of producing that is it healthy or is it unhealthy and certainly it it adds to the wealth of the community by having relationships with um, local farmers and suppliers such that dollars generate in the community um, to create community wealth I think that is an important linkage in response to this, this real community need and the systemic uh, need and let me let me just I want to I want to go there for a minute, and that is to say that there is inherent systemic inequity in the food uh, system, and if we are going to grow as a as a community, uh, in, as, as envisioned by the 2040 plan, then we've got to do a better job of addressing these food inequities and food insecurities. On a systemic basis,
2: yeah. And from you know, uh, Ricky, that was great on the community side, and I'll focus more kind of on the economics and risk management side. You know, we really just have to really look ourselves in the mirror and say, do are we comfortable giving our one of our main pillars of life and that responsibility off to a few global corporations? Uh, we have foreign countries that are buying up farmland. Uh, you know, China owns Smithfield. Um, You know, we have a very, very cheap food system, uh, you know, from a dollar standpoint, maybe at the grocery store, uh, but there are heavy, heavy costs, you know, through that supply chain, not only from taking advantage of the work population, uh, the horrific climate issues that happen on the industrial ag complex, California is on fire, the droughts in the Midwest trade i mean last couple of years we've we've really seen how trade can really impact our, our food prices here and even getting here even you know from a global pandemic uh you know so it's it's as much as uh you know for me and Ricky both from a community standpoint it's essential for a community to really thrive and and, and prosper but we're going into an arena now where now it's wake up time you know this is is the responsibility for us I think most people don't realize that a grocery store on a normal uh, buying pattern, uh, you know, they are they'll be empty in three days. Uh, you know, so uh, people have been reading the news that you know they're uh, projecting a lot of gas shortages coming in, uh, you know, over the summer. Guess where? How all this food is delivered? You know, so we, I think, from a government standpoint, uh, a corporate standpoint, uh, you really have to kind of rethink supply chains and bring them closer. And number one, you know, Charlotte has no excuse. We're the 15th largest city in the country. We have, I don't think another city rivals the green space that we have within the city limits, uh, not to mention the county and not to mention the 16 county area that's considered Charlotte Metro. There is no excuse for us not to have a very robust regional food system that feeds ourselves. You know, and that's one. That's the thing that, you know, Ricky and I are really trying to, uh, you know, work on.
0: It's surprising when you look back even in fairly recent decades, how much farming agriculture there was in Mecklenburg County that's not there anymore. Um, I love to look through the old documents that uh, Atkins Library has put online, and I found a plan, I believe from the 1940s or early 1950s, that discussed the transitions and, and how many donkeys there are in Mecklenburg County versus automobiles. And, you know, that's that's not that long ago. That's within my mom's lifespan. And it's kind of crazy to think that was a metric people were looking at when now you really, unless you're thinking about it very consciously, don't, don't necessarily think of Mecklenburg as an agricultural place. Zach, tell me a little more about what you're doing, what you're growing, what that looks like, and uh, as you start the, the new urban farm that you've embarked on.
2: Well, part of uh, you know one of our pillars is really building an urban farm network all across the Charlotte metro area and then you know out into the Carolinas. Uh, most generationally, people have lost uh, any idea of what a food system even is. Where does our food come from? Uh, and people need to see it. Uh, you know, so even if you're not really interested in local food at all, if you're driving by an urban farm, that's that's significant. Uh, you're eventually going to stop and kind of figure out well, what's going on there. Uh, you know, that's why, you know, seeds of change is so important because every day there are people driving up and down and walking down West Boulevard. Uh, and eventually that curiosity is going to come over, you know, and really they want to learn more. Uh, and I think, you know, yes, it's easy to kind of go back and ro- romanticize, you know, farming in yesteryear. Uh, but There's a lot of baggage in that too. Uh, the racial uh, issues, slavery uh, there's a lot of uh, the black community that doesn't want to get back into farming because of all of those, you know, images and that history and, 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 and putting that on their backs uh, and they want to get away from it. And I think, you know, from Ricky's standpoint of buildings, these are change right in the heart of the West Boulevard corridor. Uh, you know, I hope it gets kids. And I mean, I did not hope they are. Um, there's kids that are f- farming and learning and, um, you know, and it, really brings the whole community up when you have these kind of urban agricultural programs. Uh, You know, so it's important, uh, you know, for me and and I know Ricky as well as to as we build these urban farms, you know, where we put them is really important. And we've just gotten very lucky to have a great partner with Aldersgate Retirement Community with that six acres in East Charlotte and Windsor Park. Um, The private owner that is leasing the land and the 20 acres in Huntersville. Um, you know, it's an Indian family. They have strong roots, you know, from agriculture, from, you know, their heritage, uh, you know, but the property is right off Kearns Road in a community called Huntington Green, which is predominantly Latinx, and it's, and it's right in their backyard. They can walk to it. Um, you know, it's right on the backside of North Lake Mall, um, you know, so, you know, kind of building these urban farm networks and, and you know, because their jobs and, you know, how to people, if they want to get even into small farming or agriculture, it's almost impossible. There's no really career path. Um, you know, so I know that's what a, a big part of what Seeds of Change has really brought to the table, which has been awesome to see. Uh, and we just want to replicate that model. Uh, you know, so every community, every affordable housing community, uh, you know, every community has access to that food directly, you know, in, in the ground. Uh, you know, that's just something I think is just critical as we move forward.
0: And Ricky, what's uh, what's the reaction like in your community, um, do you encounter this this baggage, this uh, feeling, you know, that that there is a freighted legacy to agriculture and the Black community's experience? Uh, I know historically, there's been obviously so much injustice, even past slavery, to sharecropping and those practices that, as I was saying, are are really recent within people's lifetimes.
1: What I encounter is is actually the inverse. Given the kind of rural environment that was here uh, when I was a child, it literally was a garden in every uh, backyard, so to speak. And um, really what we see is a connection, particularly from the older population that comes out. They just come out and look and they see the youth actually working. They see all of the fresh healthy uh, fruit and vegetables that are growing there. And it kind of takes them back to a place when they were younger. And um, they really uh, talk about how much they appreciate what we're doing out in the community, what we're doing for the youth and what we're doing to actually uh, change uh, lives through the provision of fresh, healthy food. And of course, they are always asking, well, when is the grocery store coming? because that is what they really see as a symbol of improvement of quality of life in in the community. I wanna also talk about this connection too, that within this food system and these urban growers, there has been always inequity from a black farmer perspective in the larger uh, agricultural um, segment of, of society. And one of the things that we want to do in this, in this, in the development of this, is to make sure that the uh, black farmers are actually represented in this, in this effort too, as a part of the solution, the long-term solution. And so it is, it is indicative of, of uh, us in the West Boulevard corridor, from the Seas for Change perspective, to the Three Sisters Market, to uh, continue to move this effort along, such that. Um, when we get to a point of of the actual market development, that we are not only providing full service, grocery and fresh foods and produce, but we're also providing good paying jobs. We're building community wealth and we're focusing on that communal aspect of bringing people together around uh, the um, food food uh, supply uh, network and we're you're addressing community wealth building as well.
0: And so looking at some of those business aspects, I know it's more complicated than just growing food and putting out a stand and or walking into a grocery store and saying, Hey, I've got great produce. Can I sell it here? Zach, can you tell me a little more detail, getting into kind of the nuts and bolts about the business side of a local food of a regional food network and what that needs to look like and how that differs from what we've got now with, uh, you know, the, the large industrial food system? Uh,
2: that's a a lot to unpack. Uh, you know, I mean, the one thing, you know, just kind of hearing Ricky talk as well, one thing that we need really need to talk more of is this caste system of food distribution. Uh, you know, it, it, you know, food and health nutrition are, are hand in hand, you know, so, you know, from a food bank perspective, EBT perspective, EBT and SNAP, you know, we're, literally giving the most vulnerable population the worst food that exists. And then at the same time, judging that same population over chronic illnesses and jamming up, you know, emergency rooms, uh, you know, or, or our health system, you know, so one thing really uh, from we learned from last year is, you know, that really jump started kind of the idea of we have to figure out consumer generated revenue to really do this work from a social capital perspective we got fifty thousand dollars from a few organizations to do some buying from farms getting into on-ground organizations we spent it in two weeks got it out to eight to 12 organizations within two weeks they were calling wanting more You know, when we're out, you know, it was just that one time infusion, you know, so we really have to look at this as a uh, as a revenue model to make sure, again, everyone can participate And part of that is making it very easy. Uh, You know, so how do we create a, a distribution model that meets the community needs and not forcing them into a system that might not work for them. Some folks, you know, just want, I mean, some folks will go to the farmer's markets. Other folks don't want to go to the farmer's markets. You know, they have uh, transportation issues or time or, uh, you know, a laundry list of whatever. So how do we just kind of meet those needs? How do we have delivery models? How do we uh, meet a population that wants that raw product? They want their eggs, their tomatoes, some of the proteins. They go home, cook, great. Another part of the community would love all that portioned out, you know, so they didn't have to do all the prep work. Uh, you know, so they have everything cut up and they can go home and boom, it's done. And other, the other population might just need already ready, many, uh, ready-made meals, um, you know, that are nutritionally whole. Uh, and so, you know, if like, just for example, you know, EBT and, snap. EBT and snap, you can't go buy a pre-made meal with EBT and snap. Uh, so, you know, how do we create kind of a model where, yeah, I can go get all the raw product with my EBT and snap. You go one booth over and they can do a meal plan for you for that day or, or, or the week. You know, so it's really just trying to be creative and, you know, to meet people where they are, you know, and from the funding community, uh, you know, that Ricky and I keep, you know, running into roadblocks with, we're looking for investment to get this infrastructure up. We're not wanting you guys to, the funding community to fund it for 15 to 20 years over and over and over again. We are trying to build a model that is going to be financially sustainable long-term and it's the community supporting the community. Uh, you know, you know, through all of this. Um, you know, so I mean, I think, you know, that is kind of the biggest hurdle of working with price points, making sure that all this can be sustainable long term financially. But again, we're, we're 501c3s, we want to make a profit. But where's that profit going? It's going to go back reinvesting back into the community, growing that impact, growing the outreach. Uh, you know, that's what we need more of, you know, not, you know what you see with the grocery stores from last year raking in billions of dollars where the heck is all that going on the backs of the people who work there you know so that i think is the model that uh, you know we are really working on and trying to create um you know for a, a long-term financial sustainability model
0: and ricky one thing you said that kind of resonated with me going back a little bit was the older folks seeing young people engaging with agriculture and recalling, um, you know, their their connections to it, and the way everyone used to keep gardens. I think, you know, now as a a, a guy in Charlotte who uh, buys most of my food from grocery, big box grocery stores, I feel very disconnected from where the food comes from. And I I know that's obviously not unique. Why do you think we kind of lost that connection? Why did that go away in so many of our communities? Um, what, do you think is, what do you think is going on there?
1: That's a tough question to ask. But I, I will say it in this perspective, that when you look at the food systems, uh, the food systems follows the kind of mantra of who is being served to the highest end in deference to people who are being served at the lower end all of us require the same types of nutrients uh, to be healthy and viable this community suffered a loss of that primary access as a result of white flight that started back in the uh, 60s and with that the grocery stores that were here in the corridor and one of which was Harris Supermarket, and it was the precursor to Harris Teeter Supermarket right at Remount West Boulevard. And so you, you look at those relationships between who is being served, and who is not being served. And uh, it serves as an indicator of the largest system of food uh, challenged areas in the community, which, of course, the West Boulevard corridor is one of many. The The I think that we have to look too at what is the relationship between what the traditional uh, grocery establishments are looking for in terms of market penetration as opposed to the carters like the West Boulevard Carter that is not being served that by that market. So I say this to say that we're not waiting on the traditional grocery chains to service our needs anymore we're looking to build that system from the ground up through the co-op market which has shown great viability in urban areas that are food challenged uh, not just here in North Carolina but across uh, the nation and so it is our strategy for building community wealth but also there is a return on investment factor by reaching back and training youth in the urban agricultural in, environment, and there are any number of, of value added uh, uh, principles, such as aquaponics and hydroponics, that are uh, new skills that would increase the volume and supply in the markets that we are actually serving. And so I say it in that way, that's my best way of answering that. And you're, teaching, you're also teaching marketable skills and habits that transfer over a lifetime. And as my grandmother said to me uh, years ago when I was nine and I started in the garden with her, gardening is hard work, but hard work won't kill you. You may not get go, get rich, but you'll never go hungry. And that is the impact that this community will, will never maybe meet the, the market value margins, but we will provide fresh, healthy food and vegetables and grocery amenities in a full service environment to meet the needs of our residents and raise the, the quality of life.
0: Well, as we get to uh, the end of our time here, I wanted to ask each of you a last question, which is, since we're the Future Charlotte podcast, I always like to ask something about what the future looks like to you. And if you were dictator of Charlotte, emperor for a day, whatever it might be, how would you change our food system, our land use, whatever it might be? What does an ideal functional regional food system look like in the future to you? How would you sum that up?
1: Well, I would, what it would look like to me is that for us, we're, we're, our market effort is called the Three Sisters Market. And I would see a replication of the Three Sisters Market area to meet the overall food challenges in corridors like the West Boulevard corridor. And that we have that visible viable supply chain that Zach is talking about coupled with the local market, local farmers and the urban farmers network to be a, a, a sustainable supply chain for these markets that increases uh, the community health, community wealth and the economic viability of families that we're seeking. And it also serves as lowering the uh, high cost of healthcare that is so inherent in the system and is primarily as a result of what people eat. And so um, as we look at the Charlotte 2040 vision plan, we talk about uh, correcting past inequities and creating these place types and 10-minute neighborhoods. Uh, What I see in my carter is not only the, the access uh, to fresh, healthy food, but there are other inequities that are inherent that need to be changed as well. That don't displace and or gentrify people, and we meet need where it's where it's situated.
0: And Zach, how about you? I mean,
2: for us, uh, you know, with a blank check, it again, it's really just building that infrastructure. Uh, you know, we're, we want to have a very, very loose basic outline uh, on projects, uh, you know, getting them funded fully and letting the community around it then morph it into in what they want out of it. We want a system where all, you know, our dairy farms, you know, can go direct to, you know, the public. Uh, you know, how do we, sh- you know, shrink these supply chains, uh, you know, in really staying out of the middle as much as possible. Uh, and just really filling in the gaps uh, in the major holes uh, so the community members and and on-the-ground organizations uh, can really focus on their missions and really kind of build the ROI. You know, we've ignored the infrastructure on all this for decades, uh, you know, and we are really starting kind of, you you know, we are now really starting to see, you know, the ramifications. You can't, I mean, you can have the best funded school on the planet, uh, but if a kid is going there not Full, but you know, not nutritionally whole. You know, then it's not good enough. Uh, you know, so it's it's really uh, trying to look at you know all of our other nonprofit uh, partners and funders and government and public and private partnerships that we have to get out of these silos uh, of I'm just 100% focused on education, or I'm 100% focused on affordable housing, or I'm 100% focused here. You can't be 100% focused on anything because everything is interrelated. Uh, You have to look at this, uh, you know, in a different approach, uh, because guess what? It's not working. I had a meeting five years ago with uh, with someone who was very much involved with, uh, you know, food access and insecurity. And it was on a pretty significant, uh, you know, board. And he said, we have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars in this area over the last 40 years and nothing has changed. So what are you going to do that's any different? The infrastructure. You know, that's what's different. I mean, what Ricky's doing with Seeds of Change and the Three Sisters Market, that is really needed infrastructure, you know, and I, you know, refuse to believe at this point that we don't have the money to go do these types of infrastructure projects. We'll fund a $25 million art center in four or five years. But funding a a Three Sisters Market co-op on West Boulevard, that could really be the spur of really addressing food insecurity and access across the West end corridor. No, we can't do that. Um, You know, so I think really kind of not trying to paint these romantic images of the future, but rethinking of the here and now, and what are we going to do now? Uh, Because at this point, it's very obvious that it's not about, we don't have enough money. We don't have enough passion. We don't have, uh, we don't have the community players on the ground to execute this in a, in a very, uh, viable way, we as a community basically are choosing not to do it, um, you know, and I think that's the part that I wrestle with and, you know, will continue until my last breath uh, of pushing the envelope to get this infrastructure built because nothing, we're never going to have the impact we're all wanting to do with these Band-Aid solutions. The Band-Aid solutions are needed. That emergency funding needs to be there. I do not want to have to go compete with other on the ground organizations for funding to build this infrastructure. It needs to have its own separate funding to do it. Um, You know, and so, uh, but that's, you know, that's I think where, you know, if anyone's listening to this, it's it's not about 10 years from now and what all this could look like, what it could look like tomorrow and next year if we can get this stuff built. Because the moment you can hand Ricky a check to build Three Sisters Market, then all he's waiting on is contractors and permitting. Um, you know, and when you have the cash in the bank, people like to move pretty quick, Uh, you know, so that's really what I'd love to leave uh, leave people with.
0: Well, Zach, Ricky, thank you both so much for taking the time. Where can people find out more about you and what you're doing and how they can maybe get involved?
1: Well, all all people need to do to find out about the West Boulevard Neighborhood Coalition Seeds for Change effort and uh, Three Sisters Market effort is to go to wbnc.org and um, just click on the Three Sisters um, Market uh, and Seeds for Change efforts, and you'll you'll see vividly the uh, our efforts to address this situation. I, I want to just say thanks to Zach for it, so eloquently outlining what the challenge and the real need is, um, and it's important. It's the systems. Uh, uh, type of problem that requires a sy- systemic shift in mindset in order to get beyond the silos that are inherent currently to uh, bring about this, 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 this distribution uh, process and or the supply chain process and or ultimately the Three Sisters Market because I can certainly see people walking in the store and having access um, from a n- number of stations and points, whether it be prepared food, whether it be grab and go, whether it be fresh, healthy fr- produce and vegetables and, um, and other grocery amenities. So the system has to change in order, in, in order for us to, to reach the, that point.
2: Yeah, any, uh, uh, anyone who wants to learn more about um, you know, Carolina Farm Trust, our website is carolinafarmtrust.org. Uh, and our social media channels are are all Carolina Farm Trust. Um, and just one thing I wanted to clarify, just you know, kind of with the you know with with different projects that are funded and other projects are not funded, it's not an either or. Uh, it, we can do both, you know. So it, it's not a complaint that why is an art center funded because arts are extremely important. You know, so is food. You know, one is not more important. You know, in, in my mind, my mind in, in the other. Uh, but it is, we can do both. We don't continue to have to choose and cherry pick projects You know, with this finite amount of money. It, it's, it seems that we have to kind of work with. We can do both and we need to do both.
0: Well, thank you both for taking the time. I really appreciate it and uh, hope to see you both in person, maybe, maybe on a farm sometime soon.
1: Cool. Thanks, Eli. Thanks, Eli.
0: Thanks for joining us on the Future Charlotte Podcast. Produced by me, Eli Portillo, at the UNC Charlotte Urban Institute. Keep looking to the future, Charlotte.